Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 89 of Move Around Minute, the daily podcast where we take a wild trip through the 1987 John Hughes comedy, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me once again today is Dana Nachman, award-winning documentary director, jack-of-all-trades, and, uh, you know, also doing non-director, non-documentary stuff also. So welcome back, Dana. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I had such a fun conversation with you yesterday, and and you know today we have even more credits to talk about. Yesterday we had the minimum <laughs> amount of credits. Now we now we're gonna get go even deeper into the credits. So we'll we'll have some fun stuff to talk about here. Nice. <laughs> so minute eighty nine begins with the credits for the executive producers, and then as the scrolling of the credits begin, and ends with a credit for the cable person. So yesterday, yeah, yesterday we had we had a, a really long conversation about about credits, about different crew members and things like that. Today we'll we'll continue with that. You know, the first first thing is the music continues from yesterday with the uh, with the techno sounds, which was partially used earlier in the movie. You know, when Neil was walking from the car rental lot back to the airport, you know, we we saw him. You know, walk across the runway and walk, walk walk across the highway and things like that. And and there was this techno music where every so often they kept having a, a little bit of a shout out from Neil uh, along the way. And and they just replay that here also. And it's it's fun to hear it. You know, I I don't know if it's necessary. I think it might have served them better just to have a normal, you know, use the musical score from the movie or something like that at this point. But you know. So someone made the decision to do that, but maybe maybe one of the credits that we'll talk about in a few seconds will will tell us that. You never know. <laughs> yeah. So the, at this point, the credits begin to roll. So yesterday, all the credits we saw were were title credits. You know, without any, everyone basically had their own page of credits. This minute, we only have the first two, the executive producers, and then it just starts scrolling up, and then we we get a list of of also starring. Right, and we have, uh, I think, twelve actors that are that are listed there. Thirteen actors that are listed there. You know, people yeah. that we've we've talked about throughout the entire course of this movie. Most of them had very short little scenes. You know, some of them are 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 character actors who we've seen in many other movies. You know, Edie McClurg, Richard Hurd, Larry Hankin, uh, Martin Ferraro, uh, Dylan Baker, who this was his first first movie that he was in. You know, a lot of a lot of people with and and Gary Riley. Did, did you ever see the movie Summer School with uh, Mark Harmon? Yes, but not for a long time. Right. Should okay. I so no, I mean, you can. It's a fun movie. It's a, it's a fun eighties movie. But but Gary Riley he played one of the two movie critics in Summer School. You had uh, uh, Dave and Chainsaw. He was Dave. Yeah. Should I revisit that one? I, I always love eighties music. I it's mean, it's 80s. a fun. It's a fun movie. It's it's stupid but fun. So yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, don't don't go in expecting to you know to to watch the next uh, you know 1917 as you mentioned yesterday or right. anything like that. You know, it's 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 a it's a movie that you just go to watch just for the fun of it. You know, you're not going to get much out of it except for some laughs and maybe a few maybe a few like eye rolls and groans. But you know, it's still it's with Kirstie Alley, Mark Harmon. You know, back when Mark Harmon used to play comedic roles. Right, right, right. No, I love movies that are just like kind of wash over you and are just for fun. I mean, that's yeah, just, it's like, for sure. Perfect. So do I. 
There's yeah. no question about that. That's one of yeah. the things this movie is. This this movie is is like that in, on the one hand, but then it takes the extra step and you know makes you care more about the characters. Totally. Because, this because of the way that, that the, the mix between the drama and comedy here. Yeah, I think it's a really like underrated movie. I mean, just, you know, people don't you don't hear about it that much. I think we watched it as a family during COVID. And then so that was great to see it again. And then I watched it again for this. It was awesome. There you go. I'm I'm glad I was able to get you to revisit it. As I yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got it in the headspace, even if it was just during credits, which I didn't realize till the end. But then, you know, you still just want to be in the headspace about the film. You yeah, know? for sure. For sure. I, I always recommend that, that people try, if they can, to rewatch the whole movie. You know, not everyone yeah. always has the time to do so. But, I mean, again, it's only a 93-minute movie. So, you know, you can, yeah. you can even cut it up and, and watch it over the course of, uh, you know, a few days, a few hours, whatever it is. Yeah, you know, I watched it still... in two installments. I meant to watch it all. In, in one, but I ran out of time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, sorry, we're out of time, right? <laughs> yep, yep. Right. And and then the next credit is a very interesting one that you'll be able to explain to me what it means. It's the music supervisor. Oh, yes. That's a good one. I'm just like okay. scrolling to. Okay. It's, so... it's someone by the name of Tarkin Gotch, which yeah, is a cool. very unique name. He's yeah. a British. He's, he's, he's from London, born in 1952. And he has, yeah. he, he's a TV producer. He has 15 credits as a TV producer. Music department, he actually has 14 credits in the music department, but is he was he the... Is he any of, of his other movies? Yes, he is. In, yeah, Ferris Bueller, really in Ferris Bueller, he was the musical director. In Some Kind of Wonderful, he was the musical supervisor. In this movie, music supervisor, she's having a baby, the great outdoors, going overboard, cold feet, Uncle Buck, the chase, still crazy, uh, Paris... $5 a day. Don't know what that is. Killing Bono and Fubar. Those are all the movies. He has 14 movie credits as a music supervisor. So why don't you enlighten us as to what a music supervisor uh, possibly does? If you have so any idea. A music supervisor has, um, is a really cool job on one hand and a really annoying job on the other hand. So do you want to hear the positive, the fun parts of it first or the sad parts of it? First? Whatever you want to do. Do you want to go from, from fun to sad or sad okay. to fun? I mean, so I think probably the reason people get involved with becoming one is, um, so directors, we all have, um, most of us have very strong opinions about music um, because it music just creates so much tonally in terms of, you know, what tone you're going for. I mean, in comedy, like you could just make something funny by like, up, you know, upping the tension in the music. I mean, so much, and drama too. Um, you could also ruin a movie very easily by overly sentimental music, um, by overly tense music. Like it becomes a spoof, right? If you like, like just a scene that I was watching of something we're working on yesterday, you know, um, the music was just way over the top and it makes it almost, it's just not exactly what you're going for. So anyway, the music supervisor helps the director, you know, think about just, in generalities and then the, what we usually do i think what most people do is you get your pie in the sky things like uh i want this song i want this song i want this song so then they go off to universal music or all the all the different places and say hey my director wants this song this song and this song and then they'll say okay that'll be five hundred thousand dollars for the song and then we'll say oh my god but our whole budget is just five hundred thousand dollars 
and then the music supervisor comes comes up with alts. So they'll say, okay, this sounds like this. Um, this is from an unknown artist. So they're always searching for unknown artists and um, and 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 artists that they they can get favors from and. And so, like, for my movie, Bat Kid, so what we typically do is we temp in music, um, and temping in music means um, we put our pie in the sky, our wish list in, and and as we're editing, we, we temp that in. Then we will try to get it, and if we can't get it, the music supervisor will give us a list of, like, okay, here are 10 things for you to listen to um, that could be re- – that, oh, that we can afford – that can be replaced, that can replace this one. And so for my, my movie Bat Kid, um, we had about 12 songs that like, um, you know, it's about all of these heroic people and like holding out for a hero was one or holding on for a hero. I'm holding on for a hero. Yeah, sure. Of course you know? that. Yeah, that one we had. Um, that was, that's from Footloose. That's from Footloose. And yeah, also, yeah. it was also on the, the TV show Cover Up. Did you ever see that? Yeah. With John yeah, Eric Exum. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, there was like, so there's something we couldn't, we couldn't afford that song. So then she gave me an alt for something else. We wanted David Bowie's heroes. Um, we wanted it as a, um, a cover. Uh, so, it, okay. So let, now I'll go into the nitty gritty of this. So why songs are so expensive is there, there, there are two sides on them, which is what's called. So one side is the master recording and that's the actual recording. And the other side of it is the publishing. So that's who wrote it. So um, so if you're doing a cover, say, of Heroes, we would have to pay whoever wrote Heroes, like David Bowie and who, whoever he was with, um, you pay that publishing side. But then if, like, my daughter was going to play Heroes, it's free, right, for the master side. So we have to pay 25 I'm just saying maybe $25,000 for the publishing and then the master recording is free or you get it from somebody who's going to do you a favor. Um, so for that song, for Heroes, when I did that, um, we got the David Bowie estate and whoever was with him to give us a really good deal on it. And then we had a choir sing it um, for really inexpensively. And do you want to hear a really cool piece of trivia? Of course. So it was awesome. I begged the choir. I had heard them in some other things. It's a great choir. Um Cockley and Brothers, I think it's called. You should look at them up. They're on Spotify. They're really amazing. Um, I had heard them in the trailer for The Social Network and for, oh, they did the Homeland, uh, one of the Homeland trailers. Like, they're amazing. And um, so I called them and I basically begged them. And we, we do a lot of begging as, as, uh, as you know, independent filmmakers. Um, so I begged them to do Heroes. They said, okay, if you can get the approval to do it, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll do it. Um, so we got that. It's beautiful. It's in the opening scene of Bat Kid. Um, and then I don't know, a year later, I was in the movie theater and one of Ang Lee's movies, um, the trailer comes on and it was the same song. Like they, so I didn't own the, I didn't own the recording. I just could license it for cheap. So then they, um, licensed it to Ang Lee for his trailer. Oh, and wow. I was, and so I wrote to the, my contact at the choir. I'm like, uh, hello, that was amazing. And he, and I was like, I bet you're glad I asked you to make that. And he's like, yes, we are. And so like, that's, I mean, I, we tend to not have the budget to hire people for everything. So in the end, I did end up getting a music supervisor for Bat Kid to help with all that. But that was something I kind of negotiated my, on my own, but in the real world, 
if you have enough money to do everything, that's something a music supervisor would, would have done for me, you know, wow. sometimes begging when you don't have money, you don't have a, a fancy music supervisor calling up, maybe you'll get more, more out of it, you know? Um, so the music supervisor has really cool parts of the job to find these really awesome songs that fit. And you could tell by this movie Oh, and oh, the music supervisor could also, I think that I've never used a music supervisor for this, but they could probably also help you find a um, somebody to score the movie, a composer, um, and like help you interview people for that. I mean, I have composers that I usually just work with uh, myself. Um, oh, and by the way, on yesterday's episode, you asked me if I ever gave somebody a job or worked with somebody because of, you know, basically researching them on IMDb and I haven't really, but, um, but recently I watched a show that I just loved the score for. And I went on to IMDb, found out who it was, um, wrote to his agent and just said, I'm a big fan and I'd like to work with you down the road. How did, what's the process? And so, you know, you do wow. use, that, use that. So I can see the reason I asked if John Hughes had used him and other things is he, it just, you could tell by this, the music really stuck out as being very John Hughes-ish and yeah. very like, like, like the music supervisor, it just felt like a team would have done work together on that. So it makes a lot of sense. Wow. That's really cool. Now, I mean, I was, I did a little bit of research and you basically said everything that, that, that I already knew or that okay. I just researched about what, what this type of job does. But one of the things that I found was very interesting. Do you know the original reason that they started using music in movies back a hundred, uh, uh, over a hundred years ago? You know, in silent movies, basically. I mean, not really. I mean, I just can't, like, you have to put something there, right? I mean, I don't know. What it was, was it? it was originally chosen because they wanted to hide any type of mechanical noises that were going on in the theater, like the projector and things oh, like that. Yeah. And then, and then in a lot of these, these old theaters a hundred years ago, they would actually have a musician there playing the piano or right. something like that, improvising stuff, you know, that goes along with That's the so visuals cool, yeah. on the screen in order to distract people from the fact that, you know, this, this new machine, that's a projector that's making a lot of noise. Right. You know, and, that, and then it moved on to the fact that people then started making soundtracks for movies. And, you know, then as we see now, music is integral to, to movies. There's no question right. about, about the way that, that they are connected together now. Right, right, right. You know, they go hand in hand. Oh, yeah. I mean. Right. Then I, we're not going to, just letting everyone know, we're not going to go through every single credit here. Don't worry. But the next credit is the unit production manager, who, what I found to be really interesting, is one of the executive producers. Oh. Uh, so I was going to ask you, first of all, what does a unit production manager do? And you know, why would an executive producer also, why would he have those two hats? That's a good question. I, I don't know what that would be. So the UPMs, as they're referred to, are in, um, they're in the Director's Guild. That's just a little interesting fact because um, when you're in, um, I, I just have been in the Director's Guild for a couple of years and, um, and mostly during COVID. So I actually, I joined during COVID. So I haven't ever actually been able to do anything in person yet. Um, I will, I'm sure. Um, so like you're, you're put in the director's guild by what category you're in. So you're either in a director category an assistant director category. And I think that even might be sectioned off into first ADs and second ADs. And then they have unit production managers. Um, I don't, I don't work with you. 
UPMs. Um, so I'm not exactly sure where I think I don't I don't want to speak out of term, but I think they're really in charge of like the entire set and every aspect of everybody who's going on set and being in char- on the ground in charge. Like the the directors, um, you know, are in charge of the what goes onto the screen, the creative. Um, and then the assistant directors um, keep the schedules, keep the trains moving, you know, make sure that uh, everybody, they're breaking when is necessary and all that. And I think the UPM is just like organizing the whole thing, I right. think. Okay, that, that's pretty much it. But I'll, I'll, I'll just quickly go why. into what I found. So basically their main responsibilities are to keep everyone on budget and task, to prepare mm-hmm. and monitor the shooting schedules, to approve call sheets, review and update production reports, and manage the day-to-day operations of productions. So it says that it sounds similar to what the line producer does, but the UPM is generally more hands-on and present on set, ensuring that everything that goes into shooting runs smoothly without a hitch, while the line producer is more focused on the big picture and logistics of the budget and schedule. Yeah. And so basically they they say here that the line producer is the one who makes the plans and the UPM is the one who executes them. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes, so the sometimes they like could be the same center. person doing both. It would. What did you say? It, it says be? sometimes there there are productions that have the same yeah. person doing both. Yeah, I mean, I would think like the one job is leading up to the shooting, and then like um, kind of in advance of the next shoots, where the UPM would be on. Like you know, if we're gonna say we're on day two or and day two to day five in this location, the UPM will be there, where the line producer will be dealing with what's down the line. Yeah, I would think. Right. Yeah, that must be difficult if they're the same person. I I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah. right. It all exactly. Difficult, yeah. And then the, the credits continue. They start telling us about the the first the first uh, assistant director, the second assistant director, and and then it starts getting into a whole bunch of other uh, crew yeah, members. So- so on the d- assistant director, the only experience I've had with that was my, you know, on, um, on documentaries, we don't have that. Um, but on, um, my two shorts that were scripted, I did have assistant, well, only one, uh, uh, assistant director, first assistant. Uh, and it was interesting, like, so there's two different kinds of not, maybe not two, but there's two worlds, right? There's the yellers and they're the non yellers. And I, the first, uh, one I had a more yeller. Uh, and I found it very stressful. Um, and so I, I decided in the second one, I had to have a non-yeller, like a quiet person. Like they all, they all have walkie talkies, like some people who are yelling, like get a lot of attention and like make sure people come when they're supposed to, cause it's like herding cats. Like their job is very much herding cats and staying on schedule. Um, that, and it, it was interesting to see the differences of how a, oh, wow. a yeller and a non-yeller. Um, but, and you, you prefer the non-yeller you're saying? Yeah, I get really stressed. I get stressed with yelling and. <laughs> are, are, are the non-yellers as uh, as effective? effective? Um, not sure. Not sure. Uh, it would be interesting. I I haven't had a woman ad. I think I would like to try that. Um, if I do script it again, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I would have to really. If it was a big production, you know, these were just small productions. I, I, it's a big commitment. I, you would have to really figure out who you'd like to work with. I, I mean, I would think maybe you know this already, but um, does do these 80s, do they work with him a lot? Because you know, I also think for them, 
they want a director who's going to listen to them, you know, because their job is really to keep you on schedule. And like every time you go over schedule, that's money. And then the UPM and the line producer kill you. And so if the director's not going to listen to the, you know, if they're going to just keep doing more and more and more takes, like they might not like working with that director either, you know? So it's interesting if, if you watch and see if Mark and Arthur worked with, with John Hughes all the time, you know, that would be interesting too. Right. Well, that's what IMDb is for. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that you can definitely, wait, what, what are their names again? Mark. Mark Ratcliffe with an E. Right. All right. Right. Okay. Mark Ratcliffe. Ah, that's interesting. He's listed at, oh, second unit director or assistant director. That's how they have them listed there. So has he, well, he's done a lot of the, he's been, a, he was a producer on a lot of the Harry Potter movies. Oh, wow. Which is interesting. And he was an assistant director. He was only, the only other John Hughes movie he was on is She's Having a Baby. Oh, he was the first assistant director. Yeah. So, yeah. And and then it starts mentioning the, the set director, the art director, and then it mentions the lead person. Have you ever heard of that before? Do you know what a lead no. person is? So no, it, it just struck me as being very strange, the, the lead person. So huh. the lead person is is a set decoration department member who's responsible for the props in swing gang and set dressers on a film set. The swing gang huh. does the set dressing and the, and then removal once the film has wrapped. Set dressers keep the set in the proper condition by placing and moving elements and props as needed for the story continuity and to make room for the filming equipment. The lead man takes directions from the set director. I just find it really strange to call someone a lead man or a lead person. You know, huh. you, you know, just yeah, you know, that, that just jumped out at me as being a little a little strange. I wonder how many there are. Oh, so like, in this in this movie, there's one. There's someone huh. named Edmund Brown. Huh. Who, Edmund who, Brown. Who That'd be that. interesting if you IMDb him. See, this IMDb could be a huge rabbit hole. Like I'm sure you've been stuck in it. Yes. For a while. Yeah. Um, right. So Ed Ed Brown was in the it just mentions him in the here is the lead man in how many movies in seven movies he was the lead man suburbia some kind of wonderful there's the john hughes connection plane shit yeah. automobiles worth winning the adventures of ford fairlane taking care of business and point break uh -huh. which which point break jumps out among all the others because it's the only action movie you'd think that huh. that people would continue in the same type of genre for these type of things but i guess not yeah but yeah. Um, i'm surprised he and it, i mean his latest credit was in 2003 in t in the tv so he, huh. he hasn't really done much if if he's still around i don't, I don't even know the imdb doesn't doesn't mention that right right hmm. and and then we we continue with with the, the the credits and now i i saw one that just jumped out at me that was just the craziest thing it's the second second assistant director Second, second. Uh, you you think that they would think of like more original names for, yeah. for 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 titles for people? You know, you have you have the assistant director, and then you have the second assistant director. Or sorry, you have the you have the director, the assistant director, the first assistant director, the second second, the second assistant director, and the second second assistant director. Yeah, you know, it sounds it sounds like a uh, Monty Python skit or something like that. You know. Yeah. Or something like that. So I actually looked up to see what that was because it, it just threw me that there's such a thing called a second. I guess. The ahead. only thing I can think of is the second unit, second director. Is that right? 
Um, well, we'll, tell, we'll, we'll we'll see in a second one after I explain what it is, because I'm just going to read it because I don't really understand what it says. So it says, the second second assistant director serves to lighten the load of the first AD and the second AD, working under their direction and responsible for assembling and directing extras, coordinating on-set vehicles, managing PAs, preparing call sheets and production reports, helping to make complicated shoots. Sometimes they're ones that are stunt heavy, massively crowded scenes, et cetera, go more smoothly, keeping lines of communication open and generally making sure everybody has everything they need. In many ways, the position is a higher tier key set PA. And then it says yeah. the second second is basically a caretaker for the whole crew. The first AD keeps everything on schedule. The second AD keeps everything moving. And the second second keeps everyone awake. <laughs> That's, that's... Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, though. So if you have like a hundred, like if you're in an airport and there's tons of extras, like it takes a lot of wrangling, you know, and you have to like get them all in costume, get them all with makeup, you know, whatever you're going to do with all that. Yeah. And that person probably just deals with them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and Or cars, like make sure the cars go back to where they need to be and, you know, just bigger things like that. Right. And then the credits continue. And another thing that jumped out at me was the second assistant photographer on this movie. His name is Jay Peterman. Have you ever heard that mm-hmm. name before? Jay Peterman. Feels like it's a character in something. Yes, it is. Yeah. Who? In Seinfeld. Okay. <laughs> it was Elaine's oh. boss. She works yeah, for Jay Peterman. Jay Peterman. So I just thought. Oh, yeah. I just thought it was really funny that there is a real person named Jay Peterman. Maybe it was somebody the creators of Seinfeld knew. Probably. Anything's possible. I mean, here yeah. here his name is written out. In in Seinfeld, from what I remember, he it's it's just the letter J. Oh. Funny. He's the right, he's the the first actually oh, that's even interesting and more interesting. On IMDB it says he's the first assistant photographer, but in the movie he's the second assistant photographer. Oh wow. Ah, uh, they're gonna get mm, see, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to fix that on, on IMDb. There you go. Could, oh no, be, if you do that then he's gonna get his stripped stripped. No, not at all. I'm I'm putting it correctly. Well it's incorrect. That's what I'm saying. Because it has two first assistant photographers listed here. First assistant so, photographer. He has only a, he only has fourteen movie credits in the camera department. Oh. He was in Star Trek Four, Plane Shares Automobile, She's Having a Baby, She's Out of Control, Point Break, another connection there. Mr. Saturday oh. Night, Adam's Family Values, Speechless, Get Shorty, Men in Black, Mighty Joe Young, Men in Black Two, Cellular, and Peaceful Warrior. Huh. So you know, doesn't doesn't give us that much more beyond that, but uh that's interesting. And his his real name is J. A. Peterman. <laughs> J. A. Peterman. Yeah. And uh, then the the credits continue to roll, and we end at the cable person. Which <laughs> I don't know what the cable person does unless they make sure that everyone has the HBO. You know, maybe. <laughs> they might. Um, people are always really scared of. Um... Loose wires, probably. Yes, of people tripping over cable. So maybe they duct tape all the cables down. Could be, could be, and and <laughs> and that's what we have here for the for the end of the minute. Now, I wanted to mention something that I forgot to mention yesterday when we were talking about the the music. Yesterday we were yeah. talking about the fact that they they used the the song uh, every time you go away. So yeah. originally they they commissioned Elton John 
uh, with lyricist uh, Gary Osborne to compose a theme song for the movie. And they were working on it and they were about to record it. Two days before they were about to record it, Paramount decided to uh, change their terms and they wanted that the song become property of the studio. And there, there was a fight between Paramount and Polygram, who was the record company that was doing it. And they wouldn't allow Elton John to do that based on a different contractual obligation that he had. And they weren't able to come to a, a deal at any point. And in the end, they, they decided that they weren't going to go through with it. And they, they, they backed out. And therefore, wow. Paramount at that point, insist, instead, they decided to license Paul Young's version of Every Time You Go Away and then make their huh. own cover of it with, uh, what do we call them, Blue Blue Room? Yeah. Or... And unfortunately, yeah. nobody knows what Elton John's original theme song was. It was never recorded. So huh. that, that, that's wow. unfortunate. I, it would be great. You know, you'd think that he would have just done it on his own. Yeah. At that point. but Or maybe he didn't, just didn't tell anybody. Right. You know, Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me is really, you know, the <laughs> the oh theme song for this. No, I'm, I'm just throwing something out. You know, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> we can start a rumor. Yeah, there you go. Rumor, rumors on the internet. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> all right. So today is Wednesday. Every Wednesday we do a segment. Uh, first of all, there is no change in the script because there is no script for the credits. So we're not going to talk any more about the, the script throughout the rest of this the, this the season. You know, no more scripts, no more script differences, I guess. So <laughs> today is Wednesday. Every Wednesday we do a segment called Hughes Hump Day, where my guests will give their top five John Hughes films. So, Dana, what have you got for us there? Okay, I'm going to start with She's Having a Baby. Uh, but I haven't seen some of these I haven't seen in a long time. But that one I haven't seen in a long time. But I it just, all goes according to memory. <laughs> yes. Okay. Now this one I think will be controversial. People will probably hate this, and probably John Hughes hated this. But I did watch this this year. Um, I'm gonna put Miracle on 34th Street fourth. Um, I really was pleasantly surprised about that. I mean, it was great. Um, Richard Attenborough does a great job there. No question about that. Yeah, and I just thought I loved the old movie, and I was like, ugh, I'm going to hate this new new version. I'd never seen it before, but I really liked it. Um, I'd say Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is number three. Um, Breakfast Club is number two. Uh, and Ferris Bueller is number one. What a surprise. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously. Again, for all of us 80s kids, you know, Ferris Bueller and Breakfast Club are very high on these lists. No question about that. I mean, Ferris Bueller is really where you could see that music supervisor job um, shining. Yeah. You know, uh, it really is amazing. And you could see his love for music um, shine through. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm still yeah. amazed whenever I think about it that, you know, I, I was 11 when Breakfast Club came out and I think 12 when Ferris Bueller came out. And my parents let me go see both of them. You know, like I would oh, never, I, let, I would never let my 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 eleven year old. You know, I I wouldn't even want my fifteen year old to watch The Breakfast Club at this point. You know, we were talking about um, that during COVID. A lot of us because we were watching the, all this stuff again with our families, and they're much racier than you remember. Like much, much for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm grateful that my parents had no clue. You know, there's... yeah, <laughs> but but still, yeah. you know, it's not something that. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just very strange. 
you know, the, it's different when you look at these things from the perspective of a parent as opposed to from the perspective of as, as a kid. Yeah, and I think kids are different now, too. You know, just certain things about, you know, stealing cars and cutting school. Like, just, you know, sometimes my kids, they'll call, they'll text me in the middle of school and be like, I don't want to go to band. Uh, can I not go? And I was like, no, you have to go. And and if you're going to cut school, you can't just ask me. Like, you have to just <laughs> to right. make a plan to do it. Like, kids are different now. Like, there's no. No, and, and anyway. school, schools are different also because, you know, we As couldn't. They like, I could I couldn't get away with skipping so easily. Oh yeah, but, I mean now they like say, but you know they do it after the fact. Like you'll get a call that says Annie has missed um missed fifth period today, but it's like ten hours later. Right. <laughs> no, but sometimes the kids will just ask their teacher. They'll say, well, you know, I I don't feel like coming tomorrow morning for for class, and the teacher will say, okay, what's your reason? And they give them some sort of made up reason, and they say, okay, no problem, you know. <laughs> And then we get a call the, sec- the next day saying that they, the, the kid wasn't in, in that particular class because the teacher right. apparently forgot that they gave permission. You know, that right, type of thing. Right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> another segment that we do, we do it every Friday, but since Dana will unfortunately not be with us this, this Friday, so we'll do it today. So even though it's Wednesday. So we will do now Weekend Candy, where Dana will give us her top five John Candy movies. So what have you got? Yeah, this one for me um okay so i'm gonna go number five blues brothers number four uncle buck number three national lampoon's vacation uh number two pta and number one splash Ooh, great great list that's great yep. <laughs> yeah all right and the segment that we do every day we have uh you know either myself or my guests will give a little story off the beaten track of some adventure or misadventure that has happened to either one of us uh, throughout the journey of life. So Dana, you got, you got another story for us or maybe two like yesterday that you, oh, you can I, connect. Uh, I have one. No, one uh, is great. I, you only need one. That's fine. Okay. My one um, was I was in, um, in Dahab, Egypt, like, so the, the um, Sinai Peninsula crossing back into Israel with my girlfriends, like in the college, all my, all these funny misadventures are college time, um, crossing back to Israel. Um, and one of my friends left (laughs) a joint of hash in my fanny pack and went through the cusp, you know, the, the big intimidating Israeli checkpoint. Um, and as I was going through the like metal detector myself, I rem- I realized I saw them take it and I was like, oh my God, like, I, I realized that nobody had taken it out. Um, and then I was like, oh my God, they're going to detain me. It was very upsetting. Da, da, da. And like, you know how like times when one second or like, you know, 30 seconds last like 10 minutes in your mind, yes. uh, it was like, that. and then they didn't say anything. They left it and didn't say anything. And and I went through. Cool. <laughs> cool. Weird. If, if, if you listen back to my stories, I had a similar story where I actually had a full magazine of bullets that I got on a plane from uh, Tel Aviv to New York. It was Whoa. by accident. It was by accident also. You know, I was I was I was in the army at the time and I was I was playing. I, I, would say. I was playing That's with a very great story. That's a different story in America. right? Yes, completely. And, and but this, yeah. was, this was pre 9-11. This was in 1994. But but hope. still, yeah, yeah, no, because 
I mean, I'll, I'll quickly tell you the story again, even though people can go back and listen to it. I think I told it in the second week of, of, of this, this, uh, this season, but basically I, I, I had given a magazine to a friend of mine, a magazine of bullets to a friend of mine uh, a few months earlier or whatever. And he was returning it and it was, and I put it in my knapsack. And when, when I got back to my apartment, I was rushing to, to get ready to go to the airport and I didn't unpack everything I had in, in the bag and I didn't realize it. And I'm at that time I used to, you know, use my Walkman constantly, you know, throughout the, the entire 12 hour flight. And I just reach in and pick up a random, you know, uh, tape and put it into my Walkman. And I reached in, in the middle of the flight and thought I was pulling out a, <laughs> thought, I was, thought I was pulling out a tape and I actually was pulling out a full loaded magazine. Did anybody see it? No, no one saw it. I was, I was obviously crapping in my pants, you know, cause you know, that that's more than you that? could say. It's not even more, it's, it's more than just a, a federal offense. It's an international offense. What did you, what did you do then? Um, I thankfully got through customs in JFK without a problem. And I gave it to a friend of mine in New York. I, I wasn't going to try and take it back. <laughs> so you didn't like, were you worried about customs? I was, I, I was very worried about customs. Why didn't you drop it in like a um, garbage? A fingerprints. I don't know. I didn't think about it from that perspective. <laughs> I, my, my problem at the time was, is that, that my first thought was to put it, you know, in the, the seat back of you know, on the plane, but I figured oh, that would God. probably be a really, really bad mistake. <laughs> I think I would have put it in a garbage can. Uh, I probably should have, you know, that, now that I, you but know, I yeah, this happened 30 years ago and I, this is the first time that you, that someone who's heard the story brought up the idea of throwing it away. I never even, never even <laughs> crossed my mind. So. Oh my gosh. So yeah. It's hard to kind of put your brain back to before 9-11 though. Right. You know, I mean, right. that's like in a 9-11 thinking. I don't right. know before that exactly what you would think. Right. And my, 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 my thoughts at the time and still today, you know, that the, Obviously, it would have gotten the X-ray guy fired <laughs> for not noticing oh God, it yeah. because it was it was on a carry-on. And I mean, seriously, you know, and you know, I, I don't think I really would have gotten in in trouble, and in, in the end, because it was you know, it's not like I, I had a gun with me. Also, it's a little different if you have like an Israeli soldier Correct. traveling versus a rando person, right. and especially <laughs> I was flying on El Al. It wasn't you know. Right, you know, but whatever. Which is why I think it's a great story. I I, I think after thirty years, I could I could tell that story without uh, fear of getting arrested for for having done something like that. Who knows? Totally. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's funny. Yes, it really is. (laughs) Looking back (laughs) at the time, it was not funny. (laughs) In retrospect. (laughs) Correct. All right. Well. Do you want to once again tell people how they can get in touch with you? Sure. Um, my website is DanaNockman.com. Yesterday, I even forgot I had a website. Uh, and then, yeah, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I think it's just Dana.Nockman. And I don't know how I feel about Twitter right now. I'm probably going to go off Twitter. I don't know. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they, they've been tracking you for years. It doesn't make a difference. It's just a different person tracking you. I know. I'm That's, just a little nervous. I don't know. TBD on that. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Maybe by the time this airs, you'll have made your decision at that point. Who knows? Exactly. Exactly. All right. And while you're doing that, you can go rate, review, and subscribe on any podcatcher you might be using to listen to this show. 
To find me is very simple. Just do a quick search either on Twitter, Facebook, or in Google and for Movie Rob Minute, and you can find me. So, Dana, thank you very much again for, for joining me. This, this has been a very educational uh, two days of credits. I've learned a lot more about the crew. And uh, it, it, it's it's making me a, a better movie watcher, knowing that there are these type of people that are helping to make movies uh, more entertaining for me where I don't even notice what they're doing. So, yes, exactly. <laughs> which, 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 you know, I, I think someone says that the, the best form of flattery that someone is doing their job properly is that you don't notice them. Right. You know. That is true. <laughs> so good point. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So until tomorrow, when we will have a new guest for the, for the next three days to finish, to, to go through the three days of credits. So until tomorrow, you're fine. You're fine.